0: Yeah. Uh.
1: Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. There are a lot of new listeners right now to this podcast, as the visits to our site has doubled in the last month just due to uh, some of the public interviews that have been done uh, with Martin Tanner and Exploring Sainthood in the Cultural Hall podcast. So for those who are new to this podcast, I welcome you. Glad you're here. I'd like to share a few thoughts on what this podcast is for and why I do it. I, uh, having had my own faith crisis, had to take my faith apart, strip it down to the bottom, and put it back together. And so many who struggle with doubts or with questions or who want a more enriched faith will tune into this podcast. We, uh, we here at Mormon Discussion, we seek to help others with their faith in the restored gospel. And by that I mean that this podcast leads with faith. We talk about the difficult issues openly, but at the end of the day, we are trying to help build faith, uh, in, within you in the church. The, uh, the podcast, one of the things we try to do here is, is help dig down, uh, into difficult issues to strip them down to see what's really there. And to see what flexibility that I believe is inherently found in the gospel is found in each of these principles. We also, uh, from time to time, bring in experts or scholars who can offer a perspective on a certain issue that is difficult and troubling to some, or ends up being a barrier to faith for some. Lastly, we also try to share the stories of others, so that you can see that rather than there being one stringent form of Mormonism, which is much of the reason why I struggled in the church, that in reality, there is a wide range of ways to think about and comprehend the restored gospel. This always leaves for me anyway more room for faith, and I hope it does for you as well. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. Please email me. I get emails about uh, at least a few a week now uh, from people who have questions or concerns or need help. Please reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. Don't hesitate. It's realmormon, R-E-E-L-M-O-R-M-O-N at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook. It's a great way to learn when new episodes are coming out. And you can do that by going onto Facebook and typing in Mormon Discussion, all one word, and it should come up. Lastly, this podcast is available in several places online, including iTunes. But you're going to find the most information if you tune into our host site found at mormondiscussion.podbean.com. Lastly, I just want to offer one idea to those who are tuning in. Many of my listeners are premium subscribers. It only costs a dollar a month or ten dollars a year, but what this does is one, it helps support the podcast, but it also has a benefit for you. When certain episodes are released, they will be released about uh, four or five months early, maybe even just a few weeks early at times, but usually it's months in advance. And by being a premium subscriber, you'll be given a username and a password that allows you to listen to these episodes before they actually release publicly. And so if you will go to MormonDiscussion.podbean.com, if you like the podcast and you want to support what we're doing here, or you just want to listen to the episode sooner than everybody else, Uh, please click the Premium Subscriber button. I believe it's on the right-hand side, just a little bit uh, down from the top. Uh, And if you make that uh, donation to this podcast, then I'll make sure that you guys can get into these episodes sooner than everybody else. It's a benefit to you, and it helps us keep uh, this great work going as we support you in your trial of faith. And now on to the next episode of Mormon Discussion. On today's episode of Mormon Discussion, I wanted to spend some time talking about the Garden of Eden and the creation and the fall and how we can reconcile that with science and new information that we have today. I uh, I want to maybe give you some background for this issue and why I'm talking about it. in uh, In my life, when I joined the church in uh, as an older teenager, Mormonism was taught to me in a very strict, very stringent way, and I was under the understanding that Mormonism could only be viewed through a, a certain lens. And that lens included how old the Earth was and specific views on evolution, and which was fine early on. It worked out great, and I held fast to those and felt like I could defend those against anything. But as time went on, I began to recognize that my views might have some holes in them, that in essence, if I were to begin looking at science and giving science an opportunity to to have truth in it, And all of a sudden now I'm having to look at issues like evolution and the age of the earth and come to different thoughts on them. And I'm now to the point where I have totally different conclusions on those than I used to. And combine that with the frustration of all the other things on my shelf that came down in the midst of my trial of faith and my crisis. I had to tear it all down and put it all back together, and so now I want to spend some time today helping you understand how I have put back together just the issue of the garden, the creation, the fall, because if we're going to if you're going to go to the side of saying the earth is a lot older than than some church leaders had thought, and that that evolution is certainly a possibility, or perhaps you are you won't even want to make the mistake that it's true, taking the garden story. In the creation, at face value, simply won't work. And so you're going to need a way to put it back together. So today I want to share with you a way in which you can do that and put things back together in a way that works. I want to start by sharing some quotes from leaders in our church who give us some flexibility, and some of them come from surprising sources. Let's start with Elder Bruce R. McConkie. Uh, he was a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, as all of you well know. And here's a quote from him. He says, As to the fall itself... We are told that the Lord planted a tree of knowledge, of good and evil, in the midst of the garden. To Adam and Eve the command came, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge, of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. Nevertheless thou mayest choose for thyself, for it is given unto thee, but remember that I forbid it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Again, the account is speaking figuratively, and that's Elder McConkie's words. What is meant by partaking of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is that our first parents complied with whatever laws were involved so that their bodies would change from their state of paradisical immortality to a state of natural mortality. And this was written by him in Christ in the Creation, the Enzyme, June 1982, page 15. And then continuing that on, uh, John Walsh put together... A uh, some comments from various leaders as well, and so I share a few here. Elder J.M., and I can't pronounce this, S-J-O-D-A-H-L Sodal, taught, and he says this, he says, The story of the fall is not a myth. It is a record, in poetic, highly figurative language, of an actual occurrence. And this is in the introduction to the study of the Book of Mormon, page 516. And so we do have this idea, and, and I think truthfully, that Adam and Eve are real people. There is something real going on here. But as you'll see as we continue, there's a lot more figurativeness to the story than, again, most of us uh, likely believe growing up in the church. Elder John A. Widstow taught, and he said, The earth at least, I'm sorry, the earth at last was finished. Adam, the first man, and his wife, Eve, then appeared on earth. The statement that man was made from the dust of the earth is merely figurative. It may mean that he was made of universal materials, as is the earth. Likewise, the statement that God breathed into man the breath of life is figurative and refers to the existence of the spirit within the body. The exact process whereby man was placed upon the earth is not known with certainty, nor is it vital to a satisfactory understanding of the plan of salvation. We may rest assured that the first man and woman. First man and woman were eternal beings who subjected themselves to life on earth so that the process of clothing eternal spirits with mortal bodies might begin. And so I think there we have a beautiful quote that gives a lot of room for some some ideas that may exist out of what we're taught in primary or in young men's and women's and even in gospel doctrine uh, in the adult classes. Also, uh, Elder McConkie made a comment along the lines that Adam was created in the same way that all of us are created. And then speaking of Eve, Elder McConkie noted that she was placed on earth in the same manner as was Adam. The mosaic account of the Lord creating her from Adam's rib being merely figurative. Now that's in Mormon doctrine, and I'm kind of hard on that book sometimes because I, I, I recognize that there's a handful of things in there, and maybe a couple of handfuls of things, that are way off base. And while the book is probably 90-95% to 95% correct, and does a beautiful job of giving us explanations of terms that most of us uh, can use as a quick reference, uh, that some things in there were, were off base, But Elder McConkie here is talking about uh, Eve being made from the rib, being figurative. But he's not the only one who teaches that. Elder Spencer W. Kimball also speaks of the same thing. And you can find his quote in the current Old Testament um, teacher's manual for gospel doctrine where he talks about that being figurative. And so again, we have these in the mouth of two or three witnesses, multiple quotes that speak of the figurativeness of the creation of the fall. The First Presidency is given the following statement regarding further official elaboration on the Garden story. This is out of Messages of the First Presidency, Volume 2, page 233 to 234. And they say, It is deemed wisest to let that subject remain without further explanation, for it is written that we are to receive line upon line according to our faith and capacities, and the circumstances attending our pro- in our progress. So you can see here the First Presidency is being clear that we want to kind of not delve too deeply into this subject. Individuals, as they are in tune with the Spirit, may receive answers of what really happened there. But that also gives us kind of a look into the idea that what they're saying is what is in the account is not really what happened and that one will need to have the Holy Ghost to recognize that there are things that happened that are not part of the account and perhaps parts of the account are not really what happened and that we're going to have to figure it out through the Spirit what's really going on there. I also want to go back to where Elder McConkie says Adam was created in the same way that all of us are created. And let's think about the repercussions of that, right? You have, how are you and I created, right? Our mother and our father had intimate relations. We were conceived. Mom gets pregnant. She has a baby. And there we are. And so if Adam is created in the same way that we are created, then Adam had parents. Parents who conceived a child, which changes the way in which we hear the creation story. And then Elder McConkie also notes that Eve is made in a like manner. So this opens the door to some additional thoughts. Now let's move on, and we'll come back to that when uh, when we have a chance. I want to share a thought here from Joseph Fielding McConkie and Robert Millett. They, they say in one of their works uh, that they wrote, they say, "...the imagery used to veil the account of Eve's birth is most beautiful, particularly so in a day when there is so much confusion about the role of women. Symbolically, she was not taken from the bones of Adam's head, nor from the bones of his heel." For it is not the place of a woman to be either above the man or beneath him. Her place is at his side. And so, she is taken in the figurative sense from his rib bone that girds the side and rests closest to the heart. I thought that was beautiful. And it gives us a little insight again into some figurativeness that may have been used in this creation story of Adam and Eve. I do have one problem with one of the things they note. They say, how literally do we take the story of the Garden of Eden? This we know, Adam was real. He was as real as Christ. For if Adam was not real, the fall was not real. And if the fall was not real, then the atonement was not real. And if the atonement was not real, Jesus the Christ is not and was not necessary. Of some parts of the Eden story, it matters little if we choose to view them as figurative or literal. But of others, it is not so. The testimony of Christ of necessity embraces the testimony of Adam. Had there been no Eden, there could be no Gethsemane. Had there been no Eve, there could be no Mary. If we have not inherited death from Adam, we have no claim on everlasting life through Christ. And I, I, I simply want to throw out there that in the church sometimes we start with the end and then we create the means to support that. And sometimes when we do that, we engage in something called circular reasoning or we will create what's called straw men. And for me, this this paragraph by them does both. To say that if there had been no Eden, there could be no Gethsemane, I don't hold that to be the case. And I'll share my thoughts at the end, but I think it's completely feasible to see Eden as figurative. That God intended a message to be taught, but that it's completely figurative. But with that, Gethsemane is an absolute physical place where Christ went and paid the price for our sins. And so I don't have a problem with tearing some of these things down and then offering another way to see things and, and to not necessarily take the old line of thinking, but to allow ourselves to think for ourselves and to, to deal with this information in a way that we don't feel a need to have to defend a certain point, but rather let's figure out what makes sense. And while we, we want to lead with faith, we want to believe, let's find a way that does that in a realistic way, in a way that each of us can grasp and say, hey, you know what, I can handle that. And so I saw their idea there as as kind of circular reasoning, uh, and I wanted to kind of just point that out, that when I get to the end here, I want to share some thoughts on Eden being figurative, but in no way do I take away from the Gethsemane and from the Savior and from his atonement. I want to end with a thought from Brigham Young there are two quotes. Recently in my interview with Jim McConkey, which is I believe out right now as a premium episode but will not be released for several months, uh brother McConkey, Brother Jim McConkey makes the comment that he is in the middle of writing a book and uh, and in that book he shared some thoughts with me, he shared two quotes with me. And I don't know if they made the final cut or not, but there were things that we were talking about. And uh, and you'll have to buy uh, Brother McConkie's book to get his commentary on these two quotes. But I wanted to share with you two things that I looked up after talking to him, uh that I wanted to share these quotes with you. And so bring him young, uh shared these two ideas and I think often we, when we think of this figurativeness of seeing the scriptures, we think that that's a much more recent occurrence. That in essence, early leaders in the church took everything literally, and then here we are in the last hundred years trying to figure out ways to reconcile scientific discoveries, and so we've created these loopholes to be able to see things in a figurative way. But in reality, as you'll see from these two quotes, that is not the case. And so, with that, here's the first quote from Brigham Young. This is from a speech that he gave on October 8, 1854. He says, When the Lord organized the world and filled the earth with animal and vegetable life, then he created man. Moses made the Bible to say his wife was taken out of his side, was made of one of his ribs. As far as I know, my ribs are equal on each side. The Lord knows if I lost a rib for each wife I have, I should have had none left long ago. As for the Lord taking a rib out of Adam's side to make a woman, or it would be just as true to say he took one out of my side. In other words, Brother Brigham uh, seems pretty clear that he sees that story as figurative. But it also isn't crystal clear there exactly what maybe he's hinting at. And so I wanted to follow that up with with another. When he completes that quote, he says this, he says, But Brother Brigham, would you make it appear that Moses did not tell the truth? And Brother Brigham's reply is, No, not a particle more than I would that your mother did not tell the truth when she told you that little Billy came from a hollow toadstool. I would not accuse your mother of lying any more than I would Moses. The people in the days of Moses wanted to know things that were not for them, the same as your children do when they want to know where their little brother came from. And he answered them according to the level of their understanding, the same as mothers do their children. And so at that point, I think Brother Young makes it very clear that he believes the scriptures are talking figuratively. To add to that one more quote from him, and this one adds a little sense of humor from Brother Brigham, uh, here's, uh, here's another quote from President Young. He said, I cannot say what a minister once said to me. I asked him if he believed all the Bible, and he replied, yes, every word of it. Well, said I, you can beat me at believing. That's certain. As I read the Bible, it contains the words of the Father and Son, angels, good and bad, Lucifer, the devil of wicked men and of good men. And some are lying and some are telling the truth. And if you believe it all to be the Word of God, you can go beyond me. And I thought that was a beautiful quote uh, from President Young that gives us a lot more room to see the scriptures as as not quite as cut and dry as uh, as we uh, sometimes want to paint it. I want to end by sharing how I put things together, and uh, and maybe share a thought on how perhaps we've made a false assumption uh, that leads us to have to hold more ground than we need to. When when the scripture says there's no death before the fall. I I believe the fall represents our fall from the premortal life to this earth. And that prior to our coming to this earth, there was no death. In other words, when we live with God, there was not death. But by making a choice to come here, we have introduced uh, our spirits into a body that is now susceptible to death. I look at the garden as being the premortal life, right? The garden is in this paradisical glory, this immortal state, which seems to describe the preexistence very well. We've already talked about the fall being coming to earth and recognizing that then after the fall, this is our earth life. When we take this view, we can allow Adam and Eve, the first bodies to have God's the spirits of God's spirit children in them to go back as far as we want it to. We could say the earth is billions of years old. If indeed, as the quote I mentioned earlier, indicates that Adam and Eve had parents, it leaves plenty of room for us to see prior human species on the earth in various forms, that at some point when those those forms had progressed to a point that they were capable of having God's spirit children, their spirits in them, then all of a sudden we can see that transformation taking place. And we're not bound then to see Adam and Eve as the very first human beings on the earth, but rather the very first human beings that carry God's, the spirits of God's spirit children. And this gives us a lot more flexibility. It totally tackles the issue with dinosaurs, the age of the earth. Evolution can be perfectly in harmony with God's plan at this point and there's no there's no hang-up. It also allows us to leave room for a real Adam and a real Eve, those very first bodies that carried spirits from our Father in Heaven. This does not diminish those prior to Adam and Eve having the ability to use tools and to think through things any different than other animals and species think through things and use their surroundings as a benefit to them. And so I think this gives us lots of, uh, ways in which to see things. And I think sometimes we want to say that man, that God's children have an ability to reason further than other species. And so for instance, when Cro-Magnon man writes on a cave wall, and I'm not, I'm not a scientist, so I don't know if Cro-Magnon man could actually write on a cave wall or not, but somewhere along the way, these, uh, these, uh, hominid species, uh, are writing and, and using tools and making things. Um, But I don't know that we're forced to go down the path of saying only those bodies that carry God's spirit children are capable of such things. And so I don't at least hold to that. I also look at uh, the taking of the fruit as being symbolic of accepting the choice to come down. We have in the garden, there's Lucifer. Now he's represented by a serpent, but we're also told in other quotes that I haven't shared today that that is symbolic. And so if Lucifer is in the garden or premortal life and he is trying to convince Adam and Eve what choice to make, it makes perfect sense to relay that to the pre mortal life where Adam was or where Lucifer was there, and he was trying to convince each of us of an alternative to God's plan. I leave room for there to be a little bit of a mix up in how we see Satan introducing the fruit and Eve and Adam choosing to partake of the fruit. And hence, it it comes off from the story that they are choosing Satan's idea over what Heavenly Father has commanded. But again, if we talk about figurativeness and symbolicness and knowing that stories are first spoken for generations and perhaps centuries, and eventually written down and then transcribed from document to document, it doesn't become too difficult to recognize again that the scriptures in many ways, as we know in our articles of faith, the Bible is the word of God in as far as it is translated correctly, and so we realize that some things are lost. And as President Young pointed out, some of the things that we read and hear about are are both the Word of God and not the Word of God. And so we have to come to terms to reconcile that. I simply wanted to share, kind of finishing off, this to me is an easy way to deal with the the creation story in the Garden of Eden. I'm not pushing this across as the only way in which one can, can make this work. And I think there certainly is room for those who want to hold to very conservative views and to, uh, to to adapt very little to, to science if that's the choice they want to make. But for those of you who are struggling, who cannot make it fit in the literal sense, I hope today gave you an opportunity to see that there's a lot more inherent flexibility in this part of the gospel, and I think in all parts of the gospel, than we give credit to. The music today was brought to you by Lacey Frampton and Milena Warden. May the Lord warm your shoulders. God bless, and have a beautiful day.
0: So...